the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Here we are. Thank you so much for joining us on the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem. I am Jim. I am in the Emily chair here. We've had Emily interviewing me for a couple of episodes. But because I didn't preach this past Sunday, I am taking Emily's spot for a one-off when we'll hear from Steve Huber, the director of the Liberty Network and a good friend of mine. One of the effects of Steve Huber being subbed in for Emily, my petite Asian-American wife, is that the total amount of body hair on this podcast has skyrocketed right now. Steve, you're a hairy guy. And maybe, maybe there's like an additional 180 pounds of ministry muscle also. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. This, the, this is ministry beefcake that we are bringing to the table today. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, yeah, Steve. Um, Steve has been a really good friend of mine for, for a lot of years. I've known him for going on 20 years now, give or take in various capacities. And long before even I was a Liberty pastor within our network, Steve, you were on my sermon rotation, my my sermon listening feed when you were at Liberty East and before that Fairmount. For a lot of years, I would listen to some Steve Huber sermons. So I'm probably not number one on the list of people that have heard the most Steve Huber sermons over the years. But I'm not at the bottom. I, I love you as a brother in ministry and then also somebody that has been faithful to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus in compelling ways for more than a couple of years at this point. So, uh-huh. Steve, thanks for your ministry, man. Thanks. Thanks so much for that encouragement, Jim. That means a lot. It's, it's a joy that we get to hang out and be friends and in all these years be ministry partners, be partners in the gospel. Uh, and be shoulder to shoulder uh, while we're serving Jesus Church in, in our region. That's really it's really fun that we get to ha- get to do this together. Right, right. One of the things, Steve, that I've appreciated you saying over the years: let's become older and fatter versions of ourselves together for the sake of Jesus. And <laughs> half of that's occurring, <laughs> and we're fighting yeah. the good fight with the other half. Yes, yeah, I'm I'm fighting the good fight. Uh, with half of that, uh, seeking to stay in shape, but yeah, there is a, uh, that's a holy aspiration, right? Like let's go, let's get older with our community, right? Ground each other in the gospel, not go crazy. And hopefully one day be spiritual fathers that are encouraging to younger people in ministry and, and, uh, yeah, stay at it. Yeah, I think, and I've said this in my own sermons at a couple different points, Steve. When I was in my 20s, I would have thought a vision like that was way too small. But then over the years, it's become just right size to me and deeply compelling and beautiful. So when I was younger, it was huge platform, reach thousands, if not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, But now it's a second Timothy four hey, let's keep running the race and uh, try to leave a legacy for, for other people. And that includes through our ministry. So 
Steve, you are a fan of music as am I, although we have overlapping but not identical musical tastes. I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen guy. Steve lives and dies with Bon Jovi, another body hair <laughs> hall of fame guy. That's, so that's the that's the common denominator right That is there. not true. That is not true, but I'm enjoying all these jokes. I've always enjoyed your sense of humor and uh, throw me under the bus. Hey, an intersect an interesting intersection of things that we like that not everybody knows about right. is a lot of traditional uh, like Dixieland yeah from from your dad right all all that traditional new orleans jazz that side of the family uh and my grandmother was a huge dukes of dixieland fan so right. i grew up with like albums and albums of the dukes of dixieland uh i still have that on my phone download <laughs> it it's it's a classic group so yeah and if the if we have some dixieland steve has different rock interests and folk interests this is the post Sunday blues. So we're taking things in a blue direction here. And we kick off talking about sermons, calling it stormy Monday. So Steve, this past Sunday, wasn't just any Sunday, but network Sunday for the Liberty network where once a year you over video speak to all of the Liberty churches across our network when it's one sermon feed for the whole time. And I thought the sermon was really great. You preached on Psalm 85. So tell me why this sermon this Sunday, what were you burdened to get across in a big picture way? Right. Yeah. It's, this was a, a different kind of sermon. Um, we're going to do something we've never done before a network wide. So nine churches lent long prayer campaign mm -hmm. prayer focus and Psalm 85 is a prayer for renewal. It's a prayer for God's people to pray uh, for renewal, restore, revive. Uh, those two verbs and pleas yep. are at the heart of it. And yeah. um, it was actually in the lectionary Christmas morning. Was um, it really? Yeah. That's huh. why I read it Christmas morning and was like, I should preach. I should begin just praying through the psalm and preach through this psalm on Network Sunday. So that's how that that's how that happened. And so you did. And one of the things that I appreciate about you, Steve, both as a preacher and just as a follower of Jesus, is that you ask people to pray for you a lot. And your preaching ministry is quite deeply connected to your own experience of the gospel of grace in Christ. And you asked me and some other leaders to pray for you going into the recording of that sermon that occurred a week ago today, I guess. What were some of the prayers that you were praying about how God would, would use what you were going to say? Yeah. I, here's what I was seeking personally and what, um, what, you know, what we are asking God to do through mm -hmm. the, through the, the prayer. Uh, here's the thing about praying for renewal. It makes you realize you need renewal. Yeah. And one thing that COVID's done is it makes it makes people go to their deepest places for comfort, mm -hmm. and that could be our deepest temptations. Like if you're, you know, when we're tempted to just zone out on the world through Netflix or right. uh, abuse food or alcohol or something else, uh, it makes us the stress of life makes us reach for our most deepest comforts. And there's a real, there's an invitation there for Christians 
to just cry out for the Lord mm-hmm. and cry out for God's presence. So I'm, uh, yeah, the purpose of the sermon was just to give a, a biblical understanding of renewal and to stir people up to create holy hunger, to pray for renewal ourselves. And I, I felt, um, I've been deeply stirred and wanted to begin to ask people to pray that specifically for me. So that's why I reached out last week, like, guys, please pray for me, pray for me this week. Um, pray that let's pray that we'll have faith to ask God to renew us more deeply and renew us in an ongoing way. Amen. And one of the things that I was talking with people last year, and I think I've mentioned this to you as well, Steve, during pandemic, uh, at earlier stages of crazy 2020, I would tell friends and ministry partners that I felt vision poor at different times. Like we didn't know where the world was going. We didn't know where the church was going. And I got frustrated at different points because I just felt like we were treading water and not really moving in any direction. Although looking back on it, especially in earlier stages of pandemic, treading water is not that bad of a thing to do. And so just kind of trying to keep going uh, was hard and we needed God for that to get through. But as 2021 has rolled around and at some point this year, churches will regather in a fuller way, we hope and pray. I'm beginning to get excited about what renewal could look like as things open up just a little bit. And I think your sermon was a big part of that over the past few days as I've been reflecting on it. And I'm excited to join those prayer rhythms and that sort of thing too. So let's go into Sun Studios a little bit more, Steve. Uh, Sun Studios, lots of great artists have been through there. Have, have you ever been to Sun Studios? It's it's on my bucket list, but I have, I have I, not actually been there. I've been on the street. I've, I like drove past it, but I never got to do the tour. I don't know if they do tours, it'd be the coolest. Yeah, they, they do tours, and I actually wish that you hadn't said that. I'm frustrated that you were that close and, and, and didn't go in. You're like, everything you said, you're like, everything I said about life before, that now I'm, now you're uh, criticizing me for my poor life decisions. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a was Carl terrible. Jr. down the street. Like, yeah, I had time enough to be in the town, but not do the whole thing. So, okay. <laughs> well, Edit that out. <laughs> no, it's staying in. And Steve, we're, if, if you haven't been able to go to Sun Studios before, we're going to go there right now as we unpack the sermon a little bit more. The first section in Sun Studios is we're going to go back to the scripture passage that you preach sometimes with this section. There's a lot that people say here other times, not so much, but the BB came, the BB King James version of the Bible. We, we, we don't necessarily use the King James version, but BB King James version just has a nice ring to it. Tell me more about Psalm 85. You mentioned that it was from the lectionary on Christmas morning. You talked about the verbs uh, that were uh, yeah. key to interpreting the, the Psalm. Yeah. What did you learn? What struck you? What was interesting or challenging about uh, unpacking this Psalm either in study or in proclamation? Um. What's been really helpful for me in thinking about praying for renewal is that there are reasons, there are biblical reasons, like there's a logic mm-hmm. to this prayer, given God's mercy in the past, given God what you've done before. Mm-hmm. So the opening of the psalm looks back, Lord, you were favorable, you restored, you forgave the iniquity of your people, you covered, 
it's clearly uh, you covered all our sin before. You gave us complete forgiveness. Look how you blessed us. And that's the reason, that's a biblical reason to pray for God to act urgently now. Yeah. Uh, as well, it's rooted in a looking to the future. And God, you what you've promised to do in the future. And there, the picture of the end um, of what God's, what would the world look like if the world was flooded and filled with God's presence and blessing? Yeah. This is poetry, right? And so mm -hmm. we can go to other places where this is, God tells us exactly what he's going to do and, and renewing all creation and making heaven and earth meet. But it's another biblical reason to pray for renewal now, given the past and given God what you promised to do in the future. Would you please urgently ask now? And one thing I, I wanted to uh, help people with is to make praying for renewal less weird. Uh, Explain. So when people think about revival, they might think about, uh, and that's the specific word used here, will you not revive us again? Mm -hmm. A revival can be like a special series of worship services. Maybe, you know, some churches uh, in the history of the United States would rent a tent, hold some outdoor services. It, yeah. A revival can be like a planned um, outreach of the church. What's going on here is the renewal that the Holy Spirit always does. And so I, I want to like make it this simple. Look, we're just asking God to do through his Holy Spirit what the Holy Spirit always does. Show yep. us our need. Produce holy hunger in us. Show us our need. Show us mm -hmm. our sin. May we be convicted in ways that are right and good and that we actually need yep. for, growth, for healing. And bring us into the presence of Jesus. Allow us to see Jesus, um, to experience his love, to be aware of your presence. Uh, Lord, draw near. Um, yeah. So, you know, I my intention in that part of the sermon was, we don't, let's look at all that's here. And, hey, looking to the past, given what God, God is going to do in the future. But also, let's not make this too complicated. Let's just cry out, God, do draw, draw near, do what you've said that you always want to do. Show us our sin, show us Jesus. May we be really hungry for you and for your presence. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of, yeah, that's what I was going after. That was it. And I think you got there. And one of the things that I appreciated about the sermon, Steve, and this is something that I can struggle with my own preaching. It's just an ongoing challenge. I thought you did a really good job of treating Psalm 85 as its own text, but then connecting it with the larger story of God's redemption, rescue, and renewal of all things in Jesus. Why do you think it's important to do the latter part in our preaching? Connect, especially from the Old Testament, I think, whatever yeah. we're preaching about into God's larger story. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, here's my conviction on that. Sometimes we can preach from the Hebrew scriptures like we're still in that covenant. Right. Like the, in the Old Testament, they're aching for the days when there's a new covenant. Mm -hmm. And this is the covenant that Jesus brings. And so yep. every week when we go to the Lord's table, this is the new covenant in my blood. And uh, Jesus, so all the 
Old Testament scriptures long for and ache for the the mighty, huge, game-changer thing that God is doing in Jesus. And we've got to preach all the passages in light of that. So I was, yeah. I was trying to be explicit like that. Hey, we read this now on the other side of a cross and an empty tomb. Right. We know God's committed to this world. God, yeah. Jesus walked around this earth and um, announced that the kingdom is here and promised to never leave his church and has given his Holy Spirit. So, um, you know, we, we take, we're instructed by the lessons, promises, and examples of the Old Testament. But yes, we want to read everything in light of Jesus. Right. And I think one of the things as there's, you know, less biblical awareness and liter literacy in the, in the West, reminding people of the bigger story, I think is really important because we don't necessarily know it. And I think speaking not only to committed Christians, but to skeptics, the view of the end, say Revelation 21 and 22 is, is really compelling. And so if that's the B.B. King James version, let's go now to muddying the waters. Muddy water is one of my favorite blues artists. Uh, thinking about what context you were trying to address in the sermon or what was fun or difficult about putting the sermon together. One of the things, again, that I admire about Steve and your preaching, how you're, you're gifted at articulating the things of Jesus to people that aren't already there yet. Uh, so missional preaching or evangelistic preaching. Uh, one of the things that you said at one point in the sermon stayed with me. You said, we all want the same things, uh, Christian or non-Christian. How, tell me a little bit more about how you think about preaching to both the Christian and the non-Christian, the committed and the skeptic, which is hard because it's in the same sermon. Right, right. Yeah, that um, generally, I, I'm thinking about it just in terms of like the human condition. Yeah. Skeptic, believer, wherever someone, whatever someone's experience of faith or yeah. being part of the faith community or not, mm -hmm. um, we share a world and a fallen human condition, right? We're not right. perfect. We're suffering. And so th that's, uh, that's where I was trying to go there. That book that I mentioned, the world we all, all want does that explicitly mm -hmm. that exercise of, Hey, what, if you could do anything, if you could change this world, mm -hmm. for the better, where would you go? And uh, I, I think that what I was seeking to do, um, it can actually be surprising in a good way as when a skeptic or someone exploring faith realizes, oh, what the Bible uh, promises and points to, I actually wish that was true. A yep. lot of times people are like, man, if the Bible's true, man, that's really bad for the world. Rather than, man, if the Bible's true, that's, that's actually deeply comforting. Uh, if only that were true. If only um, this world of suffering will not continue in its yep. present forever. Uh, it just changes, it changes our confirmation bias. We all know like what it's like to root against something. You know, when you watch a controversial call. As Philadelphia uh, sports fans, we know what it's like to root against something. That's why we, yes. that's why we're fans. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, you watch a controversial call and the people on one team are looking 
for reasons why it's a legit interception. Yep. And the other team is like, there's no way that was interception. Uh, you know, he trapped the ball. Yep. And, you know, what we're rooting for affects what we're actually open to seeing. And yeah. so, you know, trying to just get under there, isn't this good news? Look what God right. has promised in Christ. Wouldn't this be good news? Yeah. Yeah. I think you do that both explicitly and intuitively in your preaching. One of the things that I talk about to younger preachers is preaching to the imago dei, the image of God, which is shared according to the creation horizon of the scriptures by both Christians and non-Christians, and then also the fallen horizon. So there are multiple entry points of engagement uh, that I think consistently in your preaching, not just this past Sunday that you do. I was intrigued too, Steve, when you gave the invitation to pray that I thought was loud and clear, you talked about functional theologies of prayer. Could you double click on that or tell me a little bit more? Go back yeah. into that concept. I've never heard it explained quite that way before. Tell me more. Yeah. So functional theologies, uh, I'm pointing out the difference between stated and functional theologies. Right. Many people who are self-identified Christians, if you gave them a quiz about biblical teaching about prayer. They'd be like, prayer is important. God invites us to pray. Mm -hmm. It really matters. Functional, you know, functional theologies are what control us emotionally. Right. And it's yeah, like, it's, when the, rubber it's like the difference the between um, like, I know I shouldn't like crush this pint of Haagen-Dazs right now, but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> but I'm going to right now I'm, this feels good and this is what I'm doing. So the, yep. the functional theologies of prayer are like uh, the sneaking suspicion, which sometimes we don't even state to ourselves, hey, mm -hmm. God's going to do what he's going to do. So does prayer really matter? Yeah. Um, or uh, the feeling like I'm not very good at prayer or my prayer life is not what it should be. So does it matter and I, I was trying to be aware of the fact that just in calling people to pray mm -hmm. and inviting people to pray, kind of urging them to pray for their own renewal and for God to do renewing work in all of our churches, we're surfacing that. We're surfing, yeah. surfacing everyone's, um, surfacing everyone's baggage about prayer. Um, yeah. How do you, you know, in hearing that as a lead pastor with your own con congregation, how are you going to, you know, use this Psalm to encourage people who are bummed out about prayer? You know? I, yeah. I think it's both, there's an invitation and a challenge right now, Steve, when our world is so crazy that prayer can seem particularly powerless, but on the other hand, it's all the more reason to make this a season of prayer. And we're excited at Liberty Collingswood to dig in to the prayer rhythms of, of the network. And one of the realities still of pandemic, and we're in the Northeast, uh, we have listeners from around the world on this podcast, Steve, you, you wouldn't believe it. Awesome. But here in the Northeast US, like we're not reopened. <laughs> we we kind of never really did. And so, you know, we have more time on our hands. Uh, we could either like fall into addictive behaviors or, or fall into prayer. And I think it's true that for me, pretty rarely do I have a vibrant prayer life, but I'm also doing poorly spiritually at the same time. They're, they're so incredibly and easily connected. 
which is discouraging to me when I can go through periods where the prayer life just isn't there. And I need to listen to that more when I do. Yeah. It's like both. Uh, I, I, I see the same thing in myself, mm -hmm. my own walk with Jesus. The prayer life is both like a symptom. It's a telling symptom of how I'm yeah. doing spiritually and also causative of it too. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're like, it's all connected. Right. Yeah. Prayer is one of those things that can either be a vicious or a virtuous circle, depending on, depending on what hemisphere you're in going around one end of the drain or the other. I'm not sure that was the best analogy, but that's also <laughs> staying in. So yeah. Anything else, Steve, about muddying the waters? I want to get to some bar band cover tunes and dig into your references, but what context yeah, were you I, trying to engage? I'd say one thing, here's a muddying the waters type <laughs> thing. So you, you know, if this was like a two hour sermon, uh, you could think through how the Psalm would have been, would have been awesome, <laughs> which would be awesome, which is going to happen next week, which immediately sounds like a good idea to everyone listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously though, you could go really deeply on how this Psalm would have been prayed at times when the people of God were in crisis. This is mm -hmm. a people of God that were, you know, when the Lord removes his favor, in the old Testament. Yeah. There's like uh, fatherly disciplinary discipline and serious suffering. Yeah. And they would like turn back to the Lord and it was just too much to get in to yeah. and like a 35 minute sermon. Um, but there are, there are other examples we have, Hey, when, when the world's in crisis and when, um, yeah, in serious suffering, let's cry out to the Lord, you know. And and this is a an additional area of muddying the waters. Mm -hmm. And is that thank you for using the titles of the sections. This is I'm, I'm going to keep on doing it. I'll yeah. say it so much, people will be like, "We get it." <laughs> <laughs> you know the the thing is like, uh, it would be wrong to say. Uh, hey, here's why we're suffering the pandemic because of these specific sins. Yeah. Or here's why America is suffering politically mm -hmm. because of the people are like, hey, I'm going to draw the line totally. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, idols make life terrible in the world mm -hmm. and make life blow up. And like, uh, there is a sense that like the crisis, the cultural crisis that we're in are because of areas of unhealth in our culture and idolatry right. in our culture. And it is going to make life blow up. And yeah, we do. When we put things that aren't God in the middle of our lives and live for them, it makes it, yeah. invites, it invites suffering and death and, uh, craziness into our lives and into the world. Yeah, I agree. And this is probably a topic for another podcast. Maybe you can come back on the post Sunday blues or preaching postmortem another time, Steve. I, I think, I think it's certainly true and would be recognized across the board here in the late modern West, that there is some sort of cultural crisis or crises. I think there are very different opinions about what those crises actually are. And that, yes. that, tips one's hand in 
multiple directions depending on how, on how you answer that how you answer that question but but i agree fully that from a christian perspective any cultural crisis whether or not you use the term but that that doesn't address idolatries of various kinds are going to be a malformed apprehension of what the crisis or crises actually are so it makes all the sense in the world Bar band cover tunes. This is where we talk about our references. This is one of my favorite sections of the post Sunday blues here, Steve. If you had to pick one genre of going to like a nice, uh, do you remember when, and Steve and I have been to clubs to see musical acts together, uh, whether just the two of us or with our wives, Emily and Christine. Uh, I look forward to doing that again. Yes. Uh, if you were in a little sweaty club with a cover band and I love cover bands, I think they're great that what genre of music would you prefer for your cover band? <laughs> wow. Uh, wow, man, that's, that's good. I could go so many places with that. I've thought like, you know, why not just plan a sabbatical about like a three month trip being part of a Foo Fighters cover band? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would want an eclectic, uh, I would want an eclectic cover band. I think oh, it's like hilarious. Classic, sophisticated. Like, yeah. I think it's hilarious to cover like a Sade song and then a Bon Jovi tune and then, you know, <laughs> like a, a Muddy Waters tune. Take <laughs> take a tune and completely change it. That would be my jam. Like, you know, take a tune and completely make it new. Right. Um, okay. Well, let's 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 pursue that once clubs reopen and that sort of thing. So yeah, take, take me through some of your references here, Steve. So uh, that we all want the same thing. You talked about Martin Lloyd-Jones, then Thomas Goodwin from there, uh, Richard Lovelace, Evan Roberts. Uh, I appreciate how you're a student of church history, pro probably more so than I am, uh, which is uh, an act of omission, not commission by me, but I, I do appreciate how you're able to make relevant uh, some of these older lights from the Christian church. Yeah, tell, like, tell me about either collectively or pick a couple of these and tell me more. Yeah, I, I think I was trying. Here's why I went to D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Mm -hmm. um, Who is he? You know could, I, could you fill in that real quick? Yeah, you know that you're... Yeah, you know the guy's gonna be cool when he has like four names. Right. <laughs> David Martin Lloyd Jones. When right. did he pass away, Jim? Was it the sixties, I believe? Nineteen sixties? Could have been the seventies, but okay. yeah. Yeah. We should know that. He he was helpful. He he's a guy that um has thought deeply about praying for renewal. Right. He was a guy that uh has thought deeply about like the logic of prayer. And that's why I chose that reference. Here's the logic of prayer. It right. honors God to say, God, this is your heart. You've promised to do this. Mm -hmm. This is who you are. Do it. Putting, you know, the quote that I used, this is quote, putting the case to God, pleading his own promises. Yeah. And he's referencing an old school Puritan, Thomas Goodwin, who died in 1680, who says, sue him for it, sue him for it. And Such when a you, great phrase. Sue him for it, sue him for it. That's not how we think about prayer. 
But when you sue someone, you're trying to force them to do the right thing. Right. Right. And saying, God, this is your heart. This is your promise. We're simply asking you, you know, of course, with God, no one can force God to do anything. Mm -hmm. We're saying to God, this is the logic of prayer. God, isn't this your heart? Uh, You've promised these things. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was I was trying to stir people up by these quotes, quoting people, you know, a guy who's Thomas Goodwin lived hundreds of years years ago. But right. this has been the this has been the kind of prayers that have been prayed throughout church history. Right. Let's just get serious about what God has said and yeah. pray for the Lord to do more of that with the people uh, alive now. My generation is the people on a biblically, my generation is the people alive now on earth. Like, Lord, yeah. do more of that. That yeah. you did then or that you will do would you do more of that now the people here so yeah, yeah that's why I, uh dialed up some d martin lloyd jones right so he was a mid-20th century preacher in london a welshman right was was he actually connected to the welsh revivals that you also referenced in that sermon that the evan roberts or was so it uh he wasn't a, a different connected with it he would have been like a little he kid. Been too young yeah yeah but uh, the Welsh Bible was like 1904, but he would have, um, he grew up amongst the eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. So he right. felt the, he felt the effects of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that, it was good for me, Steve, to reflect upon those stories and the idea about suing God according to his promises. We, we've been in, the two of us have been in rooms where we've done that tearfully. <laughs> for the sake of the the churches in our network uh, reading the promises of God and praying them back to God. So, so that God by grace uh, would condescend uh, and hear and act. Part of my hardness of heart is that I can think about revivals in previous generations and think, well, people were more gullible then, or they were more open to spiritual things. It can't happen now. Uh, the West is too hardened. The West is too secular. But if you go back and read more about some of those original contexts where revival has happened, there are plenty hard areas and yeah. sorts of situations too where Jesus broke through, right? Yes. I've never had dead animals thrown at me. I've had people be like, that sermon's terrible. And <laughs> hey, I hate everything you believe. I'm really not a Christian and just think what I heard is nonsense. I've had people do, do that. I've never had people throw parts of dead animals at me while preaching. So (laughs) that's like first grade awakening stuff. That's, you know, I think about the Wesley brothers. Yeah. uh, John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, the, a large part of the culture was at a deep level. We are against what you're saying. Mm -hmm. We think it's stupid and we'll actually stir up opposition to this message even getting out. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's crazy, crazy times. And so I guess the, the good news is that we're mostly preaching virtually right now. So they'll have to send the severed horse head so that we can wake up with it in our beds as opposed to uh, getting thrown, thrown things over the internet. But yeah, uh, tell me just for a second here, Steve, you mentioned Richard Lovelace and that's a book that I know has been really formative uh, to you what but we don't hear a lot about richard lovelace 
Yeah. Why not? And why should we hear more? You know what? Uh, it would be a great gift, man. I, I wish that more church leaders had would just dial in his work. So Richard Loveless, he taught for years and years at Gordon Conwell mm -hmm. uh, Seminary. Um, he actually went to the same seminary that Jim and I went to. I don't know if you knew that. Yep. He went to Westminster, but he, he he's one of these guys that he's able to talk about church history. It seems like he's read everything. Right. Like he's read everything he could get his hands on. I hate people like that, but go from on. Every area and can remember it and bring it together. And uh, he, he's the one, uh, he's deeply influential to Tim Keller, who had him as a professor. Mm -hmm. and, uh, just like gospel renewal dynamics. He, yeah. The, the subtitle, the title of the book is Dynamics of Spiritual Life, but it's in the subtitle is an evangelical theology of renewal. Mm -hmm. What are the things that God needs to continue to do and do in a deep way? Like uh, awareness of sin, understanding of our acceptance with God, right. our deep acceptance, justification by faith. That's an, that's an element in theological, I mean, in, in renewal. Yep. When people realize this is, you were completely accepted by God through Jesus. Mm -hmm. You were totally and completely accepted uh, because of the work of Jesus Christ, your own work. Um, it's transformative. Yeah. When that gets more deeply in our souls. So, um, yeah, so many lessons from church history in that book. I think there's a lot to glean there. And he's actually, he wrote it in an age where there was a mini renewal. He wrote it at a time. It was like yeah. the, the renewal, the Jesus movement of the seventies and the, the, the fact that a lot of young people had come to Christ in a short amount of time, mm -hmm. um, you know, new networks and, many denominations were planted out of that time. He's writing in a, at the end of a season of renewal, trying to balance it. Right. And um, calling the church to seek renewal in an ongoing way. Yeah. The I band behind the band. The band behind the band. He's like, there's, there's a band that uh, in the city that their tagline is your favorite band's favorite band. <laughs> Which is kind of true. Is, is that the name of their band? Or what, what the name band of the is band it? is Cream Circus, Chris DePinto. Uh, uh, Collingswood Connection. Collingswood Connection, which is beautiful. How can I not talk about Chris DePinto? Uh, I know Chris. He, you know Chris better, but yeah. <laughs> I know Chris bought one of his uh, American-made, locally-made, beautiful guitars. Uh, right. Great guy. But he is... Uh, Richard Loveless is the Chris DePinto of a lot of, a lot of guys, like the, the guy that has formed a lot of people, right. Even though he's not on the reading list of a lot of Christians in this present moment. You heard it here first or again, everybody sounds great, man. Guitar slim pickings. Guitar slim was a Louisiana blues artist. Uh, odds and ends. Let's, let's wrap up this sermon discussion. A couple things that come to my mind, Steve, I think you're really good at using language well during sermons. Uh, the rhetorical category that I've heard people use to describe that is diction. So diction isn't just you know, how you pronounce things, but it's the word choices that you use. And sometimes preachers can be good at one or the other, but not both. So they have like really good concepts, but the 
they're not sharp in their use of language, but then other times preachers can be pretty sharp and precise in their use of language, but they're not saying a whole lot at the same time. You got both a couple of phrases that I wrote down that, that have stuck with me since Sunday. God hates sin more than we do. Uh, that's a great, that's, it's a good one. I also appreciated. And I wanted to ask you, is this something that you'd planned on saying? Sometimes things just come to me when I preach that I wasn't planning on saying other other times, like I'll, I'll have a joke in my back pocket that I'm looking forward to using for weeks. And, and those are the ones that sometimes kill, uh, but that other times kill in a different way. Uh, you said that before Jesus, you were talking about Christ, when Christ died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Uh, and you said that before that, God's presence was quarantined behind the curtain. Uh, quarantine has been a word that's like shot up Google, uh, you know, search metrics over the past year for obvious reasons. Uh, and I thought it was just a really memorable way of describing something that, you know, speaks to our present context and just made us listen a little bit more. Yeah. Was that, was that something that you'd been sitting on or it just kind of happened? You know what, that was that word in connection with the temple and the mm -hmm. curtain uh, is used by Mark Sayers, I believe in reawakening church. Oh, really? It just stuck out. That was a Mark Sayers. Uh, huh. He used that language. So I, he used the language of God's presence is quarantined. He didn't, um, I think, I, I can't remember the exact quote. I think I uh -huh. expanded it a little bit. Right. Because typically we think about the temple being torn and only us going in. Yeah. And the, uh, but the, the sense of God's presence is also going out to the world in huh. a new way is what I was trying to, to stress there. But that yeah, was really awesome. I want to tip my, tip my hat to Mark Sayers for that one. So, so, and we'll talk, or Steve, on Saturday at the Liberty Leadership Retreat, you talked about people like Charles Taylor, Mark Sayers, Carl Truman, cynical theories. We'll have another conversation about all of that stuff. I've read Disappearing Church. I haven't yet read Reappearing Church. But good stuff. I also wanted to ask, what was behind the locked door? You said during your sermon when you first looked at the house that your current house, right? There was a room or two in the house that was not for show. Uh, right. And so I was thinking, like, is this like Geraldo with Al Capo's tomb? Was it uh, right. Jimmy Hoffa? So, was it Donovan so, McNabb? <laughs> so, yeah. So the analogy, I try to use examples that I'll have some kind of emotional force. Yeah. It was actually a house that we looked at that's about six doors down from us. Okay. And they had borders. And so I don't know if they didn't tell those guys, hey, we're selling this house. People are coming by looking at it. Right. It's just sections of the house. They're like, yeah, you can't go in there. No one can go in there. So the, the <laughs> point is, I have no idea what was behind there. <laughs> and, oh. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know. So, yeah, the point of the, the illustration was obviously, hey, we've invited you in, but kind of not. Right, <laughs> Which right. Is what we do with God sometimes. <laughs> so, so welcoming. Whatever you do, don't go behind that. Yeah. Behind that door. It's probably like old issues of the Inquirer from when, <laughs> from <laughs> way sure. back when. That's really funny. Well, hey, let's, let's have an encore, Steve. Would love to have you back on the show sometime. We have some bits of business for us to cover right now if you want to stay on just for a second more 
our our listeners that write in there there are howling wolves so post sunday blues at gmail.com wanted to mention a few of those some nice notes so last week emily and i went on a trip down memory lane talking about my secret origin as a preacher so there's a lot of stuff from college we had a couple college friends write in matt said that he enjoyed the origins episode short and sweet much like my friend matt uh, i had a really nice note from laura who is currently working on a phd in english and i just wanted to read a paragraph from her laura thanks so much for writing here and there were some nice reminiscences about our time at Dartmouth together. Uh, but then she goes on to say, I wanted to let you know too that I really appreciated what you said towards the end of the podcast about the power, beauty, and significance of words. I'm working on a dissertation in English literature, which has been daunting and overwhelming at times. And I feel like God sent your words my way as an encouragement, encouragement to keep trying to put together words. Confession, listening to your podcast was a bit of a procrastination from having to work on crafting words this afternoon. So now I'm feeling encouraged and motivated, going to try to go back to that. So yeah, words, words matter. That's, from, that's another uh, shout out about the importance of diction and right. choosing our words carefully and how we, um, yeah. Yeah, how we present things. Yeah, there's usually a point in my sermon writing during a given week where I'll spend a little bit of time about trying to, you know, as much as I'm able, put a couple memorable phrases. I have no illusions that people are going to remember everything that I say. I certainly don't. Uh, But use, try to tune into the diction just a little bit because, you know, without that, we're just like a, you know, white noise, white noise of words. A couple more Howlin' Wolves. So Becca wrote in two sermons ago, I talked about how we are a heaven haunted culture. And she wanted to ask a little bit more about what that means. Uh, You have that something similar, both from Flannery O'Connor, Beck is a big Flannery O'Connor fan and scholar, as well as C.S. Lewis. Uh, In my mind, when I talked about our culture being heaven hunted, this whole idea about God putting eternity in our hearts, I wasn't specifically referencing uh, either of those things, but Steve, as you know, sometimes things rattle around in the back of our heads and we may have, you know, gotten it from, from there anyway. She, she goes on to ask too, uh, is there a difference between heaven haunted and Christ haunted? I'd only say about that and see if you, if you have any opinion. So if, if I'll talk about heaven haunted, that means that we have this idea of eternity in our hearts. We don't want to die. And there's a pretty universal human perception that something still must happen after we die. And this can't really be the end from ancient cultures to modern cultures to science fiction novels about preserving consciousness past past death. And then the Christ haunted to me speaks in a more focused way to Jesus. And I think of something like Joseph Campbell, the, the, talking about the universal myths around the world of a hero and a rescuer. What what was it? The hero with a thousand faces. And Steve, you mentioned on Saturday, Charles Taylor, uh, Secular Age, one of his big books, another one that I read half of last year, Sources of the Self. Uh, What's fascinating to me about the universality of a longing for a hero or a rescuer is that that was very present in ancient cultures around the world before we took, and this is Taylor and Sources of the Self, a turn towards interiority 
interiority that only happened in the modern period. So even before we were so self-reflective, looking in the mirror, navel-gazing <laughs> folks that we are, uh, very different people around the world have have said there must be a hero, there must be a rescuer. So mm-hmm. that guy, I appreciate those thoughts. Steve, do you want to talk about Christ and heaven haunted? Any heaven thoughts? Heaven haunted. It's, that's a great uh, phrase and use of the diction, heaven haunted. I think we're heaven haunted and also heaven hungry. Hmm. Um, it's another way to put it. We're heaven hungry, even in this world. So um, you mentioned, um, we talked a bit before about Charles Taylor. He talks about the imminent frame. Right. So much of modern life in the West, we're only aware of the here and now. Mm-hmm. Everything in terms of uh, what we can see, what we feel, uh, we're interior oriented. We look to ourselves and yet we're hungry for transcendence. Yep. And, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, N.T. Wright opens up one of his books, uh, about the meaning of Jesus, just saying how it, for all the st- stats, when, you know, the stats about turning away from Christian spirituality that are out there, yeah. we see a modern world that's hungry uh, hungry for truth and beauty. And he gives the analogy, you know, you can pave over, you can pave over the the growth, right. but the growth, you know, you leave the most perfect sidewalk alone loud enough. And there's like a weed tree in the middle. There's, there's, right. there's grass. There is, there, there are, there is spiritual life bursting through our supposedly perfectly secular way of viewing the world. And right. yes, that's right. We are, we're heaven haunted and we're heaven hungry. And even the most, that's when I'm talking with a person who is the most settled skeptic, uh, it, there's still usually some area where, where it's not completely settled. Right. Right. And yeah, that's a really good way of saying it, Steve. And there are probably some listeners that are wondering, can Jim make it through an entire podcast episode without making a reference to Bruce Springsteen? It's not true because the reality is because everyone's got a hungry heart. Isn't that true, <laughs> Steve Huber? Steve, Steve is drinking from a mug that has a big H on it, and it's for hungry heart. It's for hungry heart. It's for that Bruce song. That's right. There, there's two H's, each on one side. The one's for hungry, the other's for, for heart. Okay, thanks for that, Becca. Last howl and wolf from Scott. And Steve, I'll bounce this one to you as well. One question for you, Jim. You mentioned that your preaching leans more towards the conversational Puritan style. I used the phrase that uh, from the 17th century Puritans, a plain spoken preaching style as opposed to highfalutin language. Do you think that this would change at all depending on your audience or do you feel that your style or any pastor style for that matter should fit their personality and not change depending on their audience? For example, if you knew the congregation you were preaching to, let's say a guest preacher were a bunch of theology nerds who know Greek and Hebrew and use multisyllabic theological terms in a normal conversation, would you preach more to what they like or used to or do you think a preacher's preaching style should be able to transcend the taste or culture of the listeners? Steve, I didn't run this question by you beforehand. You can feel free to take a pass on it, but do you have any thoughts there? Right, right. And I mean, and one, uh, 
on one level, yes, let's adjust our preaching style to the questions, tastes. Uh, yeah, what illustrations would people get? Would, mm -hmm. would people get if you're preaching to only theology nerds? You could right. use some terms, examples that they would really appreciate. Yeah. Uh, but with in churches with quote unquote normal folks, right. and this is I, I think something really, really important. I would say in this cultural moment in preaching, where a conversational tone is helpful yeah is people aren't asking like hey is it slick enough right though though if it's terribly if it's not artfully done and it's not it's hard to follow that'll affect things but they're they're actually wondering like is the is there an authentic person who actually does trust in jesus themselves yeah that is telling me this Mm -hmm. Is this embodied in the person right. who is saying all this stuff? And that, like that question, I think is especially pressing now. Yeah. You know, just in our, our culture's mistrust of leaders and all the church leaders that have failed. Like, hey, are we, are we real people who are actually struggling to trust in Jesus deeply ourselves and walk with Jesus deeply ourselves? Uh, it's yeah. an important question. Right. Yeah. I, th I think that's true. And Scott, my two cents there would be, yes, preachers need to change based on context. For a number of years, when Liberty Harrisburg was being planted, for example, and Steve, you did this a lot more than me, but kind of the standard drill was a preacher would preach one Sunday at Liberty East or River Rewards, and then go and preach the next Sunday at Harrisburg. I think both of us experienced a couple of times where like, wow, that made a lot of sense and was effective communication in Fishtown. This is not going as well as I thought in Harrisburg. <laughs> so yeah, to adjust it. Yeah. Right. I remember one time we messed up the schedule and you rode out to Harrisburg and weren't scheduled to preach then. That's like, right. Yeah. Do you remember that happened? Uh, yeah, that was probably I, somehow I, my fault. I think I remember too. that. I'll apologize now again for that. Uh, it, it, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> But yes, that, uh, what, yeah, what, every time we choose a reference or an illustration, we're, we're making, trying to make assumptions about, yeah, the audience, what would most helpfully serve them. Yeah. And I would conclude there by saying that, that we preach aware of context and aspirationally so. So, Scott, you're mentioning that sounds like a bunch of seminary students or something. Uh, I think Steve and I would kind of nerd out in that direction if we're preaching at a chapel service or something. But we also want, and the aspirational part is we want to lead people to become better versions of whoever they are. And so sometimes uh, preaching can lean and encourage people's bad habits as listeners, as opposed to as opposed to trying to lead them into uh, some better places. And there's a mystery of the Holy Spirit in that, but then also we try to do our best. So Steve, this is wrapping up post Sunday blues or preaching postmortem. Uh, the kids on the block say it's been a good postmortem. And so we'll use that, that same tagline right here. Any final thoughts as we sign off? Hey, thanks so much for having me on and uh, yeah, for partnering in ministry. Love you, brother. This is really fun. Press on everybody. You too. Love you too. And so how was it? 
That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching post mortem, production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre Sunday happy. And uh, there, there is going to be an ad read um, in in the middle of the podcast. Uh, are Are you familiar with? Uh, do you know Roman? <laughs> Roman, yeah. Uh, the person, the ancient national empire. <laughs> no, the, uh, it's what are we the, talking the, about? It, it's an ED company that advertises on a lot of podcasts right now. They're trying to get get into the Christian market. So we're going <laughs> to... No. I'm going to have you give that ad read if that's okay. Sweet. That sounds great. <laughs>